Hey everyone, welcome back to my Blackadian universe. Uh, this week is an interesting one. It marks um, two years since the pandemic really uh, started uh, here in North America and Canada. Um, and um, it, it, just reflecting on the past couple of years, and um, just the changes that have been happening in our society. And, you know, there's um, been a, a change for uh, the better. But I think what I was so unprepared for um, was just the... Um, the, the racism that... Uh, sort of arose and sort of some of the the steps backward um, that we've been taking when it comes to equality um, through this pandemic. So uh, yeah, let's talk about it. So uh, two years later, and we are in an interesting spot. So um, you know, I mentioned previously when the pandemic started, it was a scary time. Nobody knew what was going on. Um, you know, it was, you know, a start of March break. Um, kids were out. We were all sort of going to do our thing anyways. And then hopefully shortly after that, we would, you know, continue on. And... Uh, <laughs> It's laughable right now, um, as I think about it, but um, we had planned on um, going away uh, probably, I think it was at the end of the month, and obviously that wasn't going to happen, and so, you know, I just being the type of person I am, we, uh, of course, I was like, had, you know cancellation insurance and all that stuff and I was like oh should we cancel it I don't know it seems like we can still go they're saying it should be you know all done in two weeks and um you know <laughs> my husband was like yeah cancel it because it ain't gonna happen and uh so of course we did but I mean it yeah it was just a, it was a crazy time and so you know everyone started off with this we're in this together um you know and um the support and, you know, you know, I just remember those days walking around my neighborhood and people, you know, politely crossing the street and sort of staying away from us. You know, this was before masking and just, you know, waving to people because we were out trying to do something, just going for walks um, around the neighborhood. And, you know, it was just this, this joyful feeling of, you know, what's going on, but we're going to humanity, humanity, uh, we'll, we'll be through this together. And then, um, the first, I think, blow, uh, came when it was this idea of shelter in place. And that is a privilege. I think one of the things that people didn't really want to recognize is after those couple weeks when, um, you know, money was free flowing. <laughs> People were like, oh yeah, you know, don't worry about anything. But then the realization quickly set in that, um, 
this was a, a temporary thing and it, it really came down to wealth and privilege and um, not everyone could shelter in place. You know, some people pointed out the very obvious was that I live in a communal home where I don't get to tell the people I live with, you know, what they should and shouldn't be doing on their own time. That's a problem for me. To, you know, some people saying like, I, I just don't have private space in my home. I'm not wealthy enough to have that kind of, you know, space. And um, that was sort of the first twinge of, um, for me anyways, of how we were going to weather this storm and who was going to um, weather this storm okay and who was going to have the hardest hits. And it was going to be, it was clear to me that um, those that had a socioeconomic advantage were going to be going through this okay. And that was very scary to me because I knew that, uh, unfortunately, because of a history of, you know, barriers, systemic barriers in place, um, a lot of people uh, that were going to be hit hardest were black people. Um, they were going to have the biggest uh, disadvantage. And um, on, on top of which, you know, a lot of, um, you know, black women are um, working in healthcare. They're, you know, um, they, they just are working outside of the home and just, you know, in uh, caring positions in, as teachers, you know, just work that is, has had people out of the homes working this entire pandemic and didn't have that, you know, shelter at home, work from home kind of benefit, which was until vaccines came, you know, months and months and months into the pandemic was really the only protection we knew of that was effective. So it made me very nervous that we weren't all in this together. You know, that first break happened relatively quickly. And then the data came out, and I know I've mentioned this before as well, when um, the the data was out after, you know, months of living through this pandemic, that it was BIPOC people were the hardest hit by this pandemic. And um, there was this, you know, there was the fatigue, the lockdown fatigue, the whole, you know, it's draining. It was this, uh, being scared of all the time is psychologically draining and people are, you know, scared and um, mentally unwell as they're getting through this. They're hearing of reports of people dying and just, you know, it's scary. And um, there was a shift. There was a shift when there was this data that came out that, um, you know, uh, racialized people were getting hit hardest by the pandemic. And uh, there was this, you know, the ties of the socio socioeconomic um, disadvantage that um, they had in the United States to um, to have to go out into the outside and of the home and, you know, be interacting with people, which is one of the way, the, the common way um, that the disease spreads. So the virus spreads, excuse me, and uh, it 
it was right around then, you know, the vaccine was right on the horizon that I noticed a shift in that we aren't in this together anymore. And nobody wanted to do anything anymore to help anyone else out but themselves. It was just like that. And for those that um, maybe it was a little slower to come on for people, but I knew and I was devastated because I was like, don't say this data out loud. <laughs> you know what I mean? We should wait um, because I knew that it was going to be, and there was already, there's so much going on um, in the world. And it was just going to be the catalyst that some people needed to um, to do their worst. So this news gave everyone um, permission to basically um, tap into their their worst. <laughs> natures. I can't think of anything else. So when um, we talk about microaggressions and, you know, systemic barriers and, you know, how people don't want to and how anti-Black racism is so ingrained um, in our society that people don't even realize it, that is the legacy of slavery um, uh, and colonization. And, um, the idea that you would have to do something for somebody that's not like you doesn't appeal to um, those in positions of power and privilege, typically white people. Um, they are the lawmakers, they are um, the gatekeepers to a lot of privilege. Um, I mean, look at what happens when you say that you want to intentionally have someone, you know, black on the Supreme Court. People are like, you know, fainting. If someone said, I intentionally want to have a white man, which has historically been everybody, <laughs> you know, nobody would raise an eyebrow. It's just assumed. And these are the kinds of assumptions that we need to challenge uh, to grow and be an equitable society is, you know, someone being very clear in their intentions, um, President Biden saying it's going to be a black woman, period. And, you know, why do you have an issue with that? You know, check yourself and say, maybe look at why historically uh, there hasn't ever been one. Um, maybe ask yourself if that's a problem. You know, you're like in all the years, there's never been anyone qualified. You know, there are tons of black female judges, you know, no one's ever been qualified, but any random white person is. No, no, check, check that. Um, it's by design. It's by design of racism. And so when um, you're being told that the only people that are going to be um, impacted are people that aren't you, aren't your peers, you know, and you have the power to lift restrictions, make, you know, life resemble a, a past where you were comfortable and on top and didn't have to think about racism and socioeconomic status and, you know, white privilege, of course, you're going to scramble and run and jump back into that comfort zone. 
that's where you like to be. That's where you like to live. You know, nobody wants to talk about, you know, um, the, the unfortunate, um, and real reality of the way racism, um, impacted COVID. I mean, I, there's been maps of where vaccine rollouts were first, the most infectious neighborhoods, you know, and they were always related to the um, neighborhoods that had the biggest black populations or, you know, um, people of color were always impacted. If, you know, you go and, you know, if you need that hard data, you look at it, that's how it was impacted. And so, it's no surprise that the people that are so against, you know, mask mandates and, you know, vaccines and all these kinds of things um, are typically uh, people that are also um, white um, because nobody seems to understand or nobody has um, really talked about that correlation between this quote-unquote freedom and white privilege and they are exactly one in the same so when go and listen to my episode what if those truckers were black because um you know the it, it there wouldn't have been uh a protest that lasted that long there would have been some police action immediately um and some deaths. Uh, you know, when I say that to any person of color, when I say, what if they were black? What if they were indigenous? You know, like people would be like, mm-hmm. they just give me that look like, Denise, please, what are, you ta- what are you talking about? There would be no weeks on weeks in this, you know, oh, let's, what do we do? What's the law say? The law wasn't written to govern white people in that way. The laws were written to govern black and brown bodies. It always has been. So they're at, um, you know, a loss. They're at a standstill for the laws that govern people. Um, they don't know what to do with people because they see them as people. They are, you know, they don't know how to courteously, you know, they're courteously handing out flyers about how you're going to get arrested. Um, you know, that doesn't happen to black people in this country. That doesn't happen um, unless you're white in this country. And so, you know, when I talk about that correlation in those ties, it's so, so, so closely related. It's, it's a cause. It's, it's, it's people don't, I think, you know, I've, every time I talk about COVID, I can't not talk about white privilege. And, um, you know, I talk about it, you know, this is, um, more serious, but, you know, I talk about, you know, moving to the country. Oh, I'm going to move to the country because that's, and I'm like, I'm black. Okay. I can't just pick up and move wherever I want in this world. My skin, uh, limits me in that way. And, uh, it's not safe. It's not safe for me to live wherever I want to be. I need to live in a very, you know, liberal place where people are not going to be fainting at the sight of my black self. Okay. Uh, that's just a reality of being black. Um, 
And so, you know, it just annoyed me that people were like, oh, I'm going to move and do this, whatever in the country. And I'm like, congratulations, congratulations on more privilege that you get to reap when, you know, um, my people are literally dying to pay their bills. But anyways, um, there's there's, um, this idea that freedoms are being stripped from people and they don't want to have restrictions placed on them to um, basically save black lives you know when we have that hashtag black lives matter people are like oh all lives matter of course they do but we have to say that black lives matter because you have built this world on the idea that it doesn't you know wake up that's what colonization is that's what slavery is that's what racism is it's based on this idea of white supremacy and we have to remind you to practice what you preach and that my life matters as much as yours. And if you truly believed that, then you would wear your mask for um, the people that didn't have the ability to shelter at home, for the people that are under the age of five that are highly at risk and, you know, for everybody that has some disease that you don't know about um, that needs to protect themselves, you would do a small thing to help others if you truly believed that all lives were equal and mattered. They're equal and mattered. That if you truly respected and were about preserving human life, then we wouldn't be having a political discussion on mask mandates um and the only people that have ever felt so entitled in human history to exercise their will at the cost of others are white supremacists and I am concerned, deeply concerned of what COVID is doing to give permission and power to the people who fundamentally believe in their own superiority and freedom at the cost of all others. So I think we're at a crossroads. And I think um, there's always this swing um, in historically, whenever there's, you know, a push towards equality, there's always this, you know, backslide and swing where, you know, people desperately try to hang on to um, the the previous past of, you know, the, the privileges of racism that, you know, serve them. And one of the things we have to remember is that, like, oh dear, the right when uh, COVID started, there was a big uptake in protests for Black Lives Matters, um, you know, uh, and one of the things 
you know, this was in the summer of 2020. Um, and with uh, the murder of George Floyd and just, you know, um, there's a lot of unrest. And one of the, the very powerful pieces that came out of that was um, Kimberly Jones. And, you know, she was just speaking about that broken social contract of, you know, we're operating within these means of racism, you know, we're trying to navigate our lives um, through this, this horrible, horrible, you know, system of oppression. And, you know, you know, she talks about that back and forth of, you know, how we um, are, are trying to build ourselves up and we have our communities and, you know, we're trying to go back and then, you know, we're just, we're just trying to have equality and, um, we're just, you're fighting for that equality. And it's, um, it's, it's a powerful speech, you know, Google it if you haven't seen it, but, um, I feel like we're at this, this crossroads where, you know, we're forming this new uh, contract where I don't think people are going to go back on the gains that we've achieved. Um, and I, I honestly, I don't know what's happening. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I know that historically that gains have to be hard earned and I don't know what the price is going to be to keep this equality and um, I, I sincerely hope that our allies are strong um, we need them um, we need them and um, to to get through this um, this backslide we need to forge forward and um, I sincerely hope that people's eyes are being opened to the injustices and inequalities that um, people are trying to disguise as freedoms. They're not. They're, they're really not. Um, and so um, I think we really do, 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 do need to remember that time back, you know, two years ago when, you know, we, that hashtag, we're in this together. Um, I, I sincerely... I'm going to put my faith in humanity and hope that that's true and um, that we forge forward and ahead and remove barriers and really, 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 really um, uh, fight for equity together. So um, thank you so, so much for listening and I will talk to you next time.